Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very 230th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast about board games, board games, and dental hygiene. Today, I'm joined by best friend of the show, Pip War. Hello! You're back. We let you in again after uh, your chaotic performance last time. I can't remember what you did that was especially chaotic. I've just said that. (laughs) How are you? It feels like a fairly safe bet, doesn't it? I am well. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I have a confession to make, which is that just prior to hitting record on this podcast, I ate a very out of date cookie. So this could be uh, the world's first, not the world's first, the podcast's first preemptive or mid pod explosive episode where I have to go and be a bit sick. I think that we shouldn't record that part <laughs> if it happens. <laughs> Pip, the microphone is already ready to go. I've got my clip mic, my lav. I've got video oh footage God. ready to go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about three whole games. We're going to start by talking about The Number, a game about writing a number down and hoping no one else has written a similar number down to you and maybe getting some points for it. We're going to be talking about Broom Service, a game about witches on brooms doing... I don't know what they're doing. I've not played it. Potion delivery, Tom. Potion delivery. Potion delivery. That's sort of what I did in Broom Service, the card game, which we'll talk about for exactly two minutes afterwards because I've not got much to say about it. And then we're going to talk about Sea, Salt and Paper, a card game that we've just played where you get little sets of nice origami fishies. Oh, the art in that game is so nice. First up on the podcast, we're going to be talking about The Number. This is a game from Hisashi Hayashi and published by Repos Productions. This is a super weird game. It's so strange. Uh, So I'm going to explain it first to the people at home because it's a bit of a weird one to get your head around without seeing the physical game. Um, So each round of The Number has you picking a three-digit number. How about 111? What about 247? Could I tempt you with a 953? Whatever your heart desires, you can choose it. and You can write it down with a dry erase marker on your little board. Once everyone's chosen their number, you will then reveal them and you'll arrange them from largest number to smallest number. Once you've done that, you then go from the top to the bottom, eliminating any numbers that will share a single digit with a smaller number. So let's say in this example, the top number was 999, 999. It'll get eliminated if 119 or 293 or 989 are below it because they've both used a 9 and 999 was on the top and the other numbers were below it. And once you've gotten rid of all the numbers that have been cancelled out by having numbers using the same digits below them, anything that's left is going to score their highest digit. So 643 would score 6, 555 scores 5, and so on and so forth. The person with the highest number left, though, gets a tiny little bonus, and that bonus increases each round. It's like two points in the first round, and then four, and then eight. And I think the last round just doubles whatever your number is. So if you put eight, you'd get 16 points for having the highest number if you made it to the end of the round. The twist in the number, though, is that you then can't use the digits that you picked for the rest of the round. So what just starts off as a completely random choice, you know, pick any number you want, you slowly turn the game collectively into this weirdly sharp little deduction puzzle where you're getting into the heads of everyone else because you're trying to see what they can't use and what you can use, how you can still bag the highest number but without getting cancelled out, or if you know that someone's going to go for a high number, how do you stop them from scoring it? 
Pip, I think this game is really strange and I don't quite understand it. <laughs> did you find that you developed any strategies? Is how, how did you find your way in or is the bafflement uh, ongoing? The bafflement is kind of ongoing. Mm. I have played this game precisely once. I wanted to play it more times, but I've only played it once. I mean, well, we played it twice in a row, mm. but one session of it. And I think that by the second, because you do two rounds, mm-hmm. you score your first round, you score your second round. By the end of the second round or middle of the second round, people were starting to like get get it. You know, they were tr- starting to understand what you could do and how you could use the information to craft a really good little solution that would get you right in there and score you a lovely set of points. However, I still found it hard. To, like, I just, it's not intuitive, is it, as a game? <laughs> It's the thing with maths where it feels like it's so purely about a love of and interest in numbers. And Mm. that doesn't translate well to everybody. It's not a universal experience, which I think is why people struggle in maths classes, even if, you know, like it's a very specific way of thinking about things and it's quite abstract. Um, Yeah. So I think that can be just very hard to... Uh, spread to people as an enthusiastic concept and there <laughs> yeah. is also just a kind of oh god I've, I've got to write numbers down and it's all to do with logic and then there's this thing I need to like figure out and I, I really enjoyed the first time the first couple of times I played and then I had an evening where I played it just as the concluding game after like a bunch mm. of other things um, because it's short once you once you explained it to people. So it felt like a kind of a nightcap of a game. But (laughs) that one, I just couldn't seem to get my eye in with the people I was playing with. And so I just sort of, I did so badly in that, that it was, you know, kind of embarrassing to me as somebody who liked it and got it the first time. So it was kind of a weird experience on that front. But so... You've got these numbers in front of you. You've got them laid out on this lovely rub-offable board. That's like one of the brilliant things about it is just the like the experience of using the erasing pens. Um, I really like that uh, to to like um, cross off numbers, kind of like you would in a bingo card or something, and then yeah, writing yeah. things in and yeah all of that i think some of the presentation leans into that as well it's very like clean and like blocky and chunky Mm. and so there's definitely this like big you know you write your big number and then you flip your big numbers and you organize them in it's kind of game showy in that way but if a game show was made by total dorks (laughs) yeah for me (laughs) for nerd (laughs) um well that was the thing is that you like deduction you like games that are of you know we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast i think which was like you like games that are puzzly Mm. and they're about working things out and doing a little solution yeah did this game scratch that itch it's interesting because it's not quite as logical as you'd think in terms of right so some of it is just psychology some of it is a bit more playing the odds rather than so to 
to give some concrete examples as much as I can. Um, you start off with the numbers zero to nine on your board, not crossed out. So you can use any of them to construct your three digit number. I, I guess a lot of people's first move is to be a bit baffled. And so just to pick a three digit number where there's three numbers all different. And then later in the game, when you can see what everybody has still available on their card, you can kind of go, okay, so, you know, I have a nine and a zero and a seven left that I can use. You're looking at that and thinking, okay, well, I want, if I might win this, I want the nine to be the first number if possible to maximize my bonus because you know getting yes. that doubled and so what i would then try and think about is like okay well what is the lowest 900 number i can make with <laughs> what i've got and is it lower than what they can make because if it isn't what i would probably do is try and go for a lower number but include the nine somewhere so that they would be tempted to use it but the nine would recur so they would be knocked out and hopefully I could scoop up some remaining points so things like that yeah. kind of come into it. it it's partly logic but also partly like people have real sort of emotional responses to numbers as well <laughs> so like trying to work that side out and then at the end of a round you also count up the number of used numbers for a little bonus so if you have used a really wide variety of numbers over the course of that round so if you've used like eight of the ten you know that you could that you could trot out then yeah you can yeah add that to your score so there's a kind of it's an interesting balancing act and then um, you write that number in the erasable like square on the back of your card, and then you can like erase everything on the front of the card, and then start again uh, to to do a second round. And then adding both of those up is what gives you your your victory. And I liked all of those things, but sometimes it just didn't feel super satisfying. Like especially if in that most recent game I played like I saw how far behind I had fallen by making some weird not exactly weird decisions but they were decisions that were sort of calibrated to a different group almost so I'd made some wrong assumptions and was punished for it but then I was like well I I genuinely cannot claw this back at this point yeah. so you know what what am I doing do I want to just sort of entertain myself with some spite or do I just <laughs> sort of like try and learn from you know watching it play out or do I you know so it was kind of a bit of a weird one from that point onwards I think you're definitely correct that it's very like you know playing it with a different group changes the game significantly and you're right that it is more of a it has that deduction element to it but there is still ultimately that predictive element of trying to guess what your opponents are going to do because there are lots you know there's so many ways you can put three digits together mm. like it's it's still kind of like getting the vibe of what the fellow players around the table might do that means it can't be as like purely satisfying as like the best deduction stuff but i also part of me does think that it's not funny enough to be that sort of like 
I think it's in this weird middle spot where it has crunch and it has deduction on that end. And mm. then on the other side of it, it doesn't have like, it's not very funny. I know that's a really silly complaint to have, but this game reminds me a lot of a game called QE, um, which is a game stands for quantitative easing. It's an auction game where you basically write as much money as you want to on a blank check. The idea of the game is that you have unlimited money to spend. So you can write whatever number you want on it and then reveal it. And then players will sort of set the pace of the game by what numbers they choose to put in at any given time mm. and the person who spends the most money is going to lose qe has these like really big like swing for the park like you know misses mm. <laughs> and it has this like it has the theming of it is so silly and daft and heightened that it makes it a game that has these quite like big emotional peaks and troughs whereas the number even when someone got knocked out in what could have been a very dramatic way it didn't feel it because all the theme of it is so dry mm. um it's very small in terms of its like and, and i don't actually mean that in a bad way it's it's quite self-contained yeah. but it feels very much like it takes place in a very logical sealed zone almost <laughs> whereas quantitative easing is like it 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 becomes fantastical so easily and mm -hmm. big numbers are really ridiculous inherently you know and so <laughs> it's it's in the realms of childhood arguments incredibly quickly like you know well i bet a million billion squillion pounds you know like that kind exactly, of exactly exactly and also it there's a bit of i guess light political satire there but yeah so it's kind of it's one of those games that i like and that i will never suggest we play because mm. i know that other people think i'm boring <laughs> <laughs> it's do you know what it's something where so I like playing Karuba because I like the logic and the sitting on my own doing a puzzle, but with other people oh, nearby yeah. thing. But I yes. never suggest that we play it ever because I'm always like, I don't think anyone else thinks the same things are fun that I, I do. <laughs> I think, I mean, I'll say you're wrong there because I think Karuba is at least, you know, we've played it together Ooh. and I think Karuba is like, I think at least it's a little peppier and more like it's just more welcoming and fun and engaging that it hides the fact that it is ultimately quite a dry game very well. Mm. And I think there is that like the parallel play of Karuba, I think, is really inviting and enjoyable. And I think it's a, I think it's a different box of frogs to the number, which is much more cold and calculating even though it's kind of sitting in the same box size and same space that's something that will kind of like generate mm. a lot of like fun time laughter. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of game. That's what you're expecting going into it. And then very quickly it turns into like quite a crunchy puzzle, which I agree that some people, or not necessarily even that crunchy because it has so much like guessing as to what your friends are going to do. But I think for some people that'll really hit the mark. And for some, it just won't. And I think, I don't think it quite it did it for me. Hi. Is it time for broom service? It's time for broom service. Tell us all about this game. So uh, broom service is a game by Andreas Pelican and uh, Alexander Pfister. And what you are doing is you are selecting roles to play. Uh, so witches, druids, um, wizards and gatherers, I think, in order that your little uh, witch meeples can roam the land delivering potions to towers. So you can see the pun there in action. You are, ah. you are servicing these 
rooms but on a broom i get it i get yeah, it get it that's it that's it put it end the podcast we got that i've now explained a play on words you're welcome everybody <laughs> it's a service you provide yeah and i believe i have played the game and you have played the card game that is based on the game I thought that it was just a very cheap board game. Mm. So I bought it on eBay.com for not much money. And it came in a really small box. And I was like, oh, wow, it's amazing. They fit all this game into a tiny box. (laughs) And then I realized that was not the case. It's like it was like six or seven pounds. And, you know, I know why it's about six or seven pounds, because it wasn't very good. The card game version. But the board game is like it's like it's like fifty quid on on eBay. That's crazy. I believe it uh, might be out of that. print. Don't know. There we go. I might just be saying I think this words. Game, I think this game was also spoken about on a Shut Up and Sit Down podcast a very long time ago, um, when it was new, perhaps. Uh, so we're 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 sort of checking if does broom service hold up in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three. Pip's here with the report. <laughs> in this, the year of Luigi. Um, <laughs> the ongoing year of Luigi. Every year is the year of Luigi. So it's uh, for two to five players. Um, we did with four, um, which seems to be optimal. Each player has a deck of the same cards that represent all of the different roles and things that you can do in the game so there's the gatherer cards which are essentially picking up uh ingredients for the potions so they pick up the you can get a berry person who will pick up a particular colored potion you've also got the uh i'm gonna get some of this wrong because it's a little bit hazy so i'm just gonna stick with generalities um but essentially (laughs) some of the characters will let you go to a particular type of terrain so um you've got hills and mountains and um other like forests and plains and things and so Mm -hmm. uh you need to match the the druid or the witch or the wizard with that terrain if you want to get to it and to deliver potions um and each of the characters can do something cowardly or they can do it in a brave fashion um Ah. if you want to play it safe you say that they're doing the cowardly version because you will always get to do that no matter what if you want to take a gamble you can say that they're going to do the brave version of the action which is better materially better but there is a chance that if somebody later in the um in the go round of the right. hand uh also is going to do a brave version and has picked out that card too, um, they will gazump you. They will get to do that and you will get nothing um, Mm -hmm. for that character. So you, like I say, you all have access to the same people who can do the same things, but at the start of the game, you actually draft a number of them into your hand. And so the first player is like, I'm going to play, I don't know, the the berry gatherer and plays that. Mm -hmm. And then they'll say cowardly or brave. If you are the first player, it doesn't make sense often to go brave because you are going to be, you know, you're going to have to last however many people for that to be permitted. You're a... uh... 
you're a prime target for gazumping. Oh, in yeah. That sense. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you want that because the first player will be the person who most recently performed a brave action. So you can also sort of try and move play around because you might be wanting to get rid of the first player, like, yeah, curse yeah. and, you know, <laughs> apply your actions accordingly. Um, but uh, you can also, yeah, just through like normal and everybody who has drafted that same card as you has to then play it and say which version of the action they're going to do so Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to like hold it back and also the other thing that this does is it can also significantly disrupt any planning ahead that you've done like oh well i'm gonna collect the ingredients for this potion and then i'm gonna fly over here and then i'm gonna deliver it can immediately get scuppered if the person ahead of you plays the deliver card and you're like, well, I guess I'm going to have to figure that out now. (laughs) So, yeah, there's like a certain amount of... I I played it with trying to build a lot of redundancy into my plans and so going, okay, well, even if this thing doesn't work out, I can still do this thing. Um, yes. Which was, I, I was trying to be a bit too cautious, I think, and a bit too clever for my own good because people who played a bit more sort of directedly and bravely ended up, you know, coming ahead. I I actually came last, so, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. It was a dreadful time. Um, <laughs> and there's also just other bits and pieces like you. Some of the areas have um, thunderclouds over them and you need to dispel mm-hmm. them using a weather witch um, to be able to uh, move into that space at all and so on and so on. Um, some of the towers can only take delivery of one potion because the person only needs like a finite order. And so that tower, mm-hmm. once it's used up, is used up for good. Um, other towers uh, will just take however many you want to give. So there's also an element right. of, oh, well, if something is going to get you more victory points, you want to get there first, or if something's going to get you you know, more of this, or if you've only got this type of potion and there's a finite number of places you can drop it off nearby, then those things all come into play as well. And you start being able to try and uh, mess with other people as much as you're trying to help yourself out. So, right, yeah. right, right. Does that, does that bear any resemblance to the card game that you played? <laughs> sort of i think the card game is seems to just have that brave and cowardly mechanism and that's kind of all it has i'll sort of very briefly talk about the card game in a second um mostly because i just i i'm just so ashamed of of getting the wrong game delivered when we said we'd talk about broom service on a podcast um <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment but i wanted to ask though did you enjoy broom service you think it was a good time it seems to have i i like what i'm hearing about it with this sort of clash between sort of managing your hand and trying to make sure that you're picking the right things at the right time and play them in the right way versus what looks like a pick up and deliver sort of game mm. on top of that i always find those kinds of games very satisfying i was wondering if it was did you enjoy it did you have a good time so it's one where i my judgment of it based on the playthrough that i had it would probably be a kind of oh, okay but not go back to it 
And then the fact that I know that it's one of the people I was playing with, like, go-to game and is, like, a personal Mm. favorite. Like, I'm like, okay, I think I had a weird experience of it or maybe my experience was, like, shaped by, you know, sometimes, to be honest, with board gaming club, it happens just after a meeting um, that I have each week and... I am sometimes just exhausted at that point. And so, (laughs) like, honestly, I genuinely cannot tell if that was also involved. I think I just, I had it in my head that I just didn't want to do so badly in a game because I'd had a long day and I was like, I don't want to fail at delivering potions. Um, And obviously that went about as well as you can imagine. So I came last. <laughs> but you know, so yeah, I, I I appreciate that isn't like a an easy yes no answer, but it's like I think sometimes maybe we aren't as transparent as we could be, and I say we in terms of like the hobby as a whole of like knowing how much the rest of the day or the rest of the like the framing of the experience has like affected it and so yeah it's it's a weird one where you kind of go along and you're like I genuinely do not know if I had the capacity to know if it was good or not (laughs) I'm thinking about the fact that very recently we played the gallerist um, which is just a turbo huge turbo complicated game that takes multiple hours to play it's got 4.26 4.26 out of 5 for complexity on board game geek <laughs> which is pretty high although i mean i disagree with that but we'll get into that when we actually talk about the gallerist on a podcast at some point mm-hmm. but we played that at the convention we were at just the other week um in in the convention hall next to a children's bouncy castle <laughs> and i think that <laughs> Any sort of like rating that I would slap onto that game is definitely affected by a sort of constant low hum of screaming children occupying the back half of my brain while I was playing it. Mm. Um, now, I'm not saying that that's what happened to you playing Broom Service, <laughs> but I can definitely agree that it's sometimes hard to get the exact feelings about something when you're playing games with. I definitely find that like I'll play games with my housemates and sometimes everyone just feels a bit sleepy and I'm very keen to revisit games after that because sometimes you can just be like, you know, especially if someone's really telling you that it's great Mm. and that it's one of their kinds of games. But also I was just thinking that if this person who's at board game club is really saying that broom service is like, you know, it's one of their go-tos. Do you think it's also the kind of weight of game that affords itself being shown to like lots of people quite easily? Because to me, it looked quite like simple and peppy. Yeah. And I think the theme is, is light, but good and sort of easy to you know get people on board with it's like oh do you want to deliver potions and things and yes and it's exactly got quite easy to grok kind of um mm. yeah it, and so i absolutely think that i don't know if you ever get this as well but like i i sometimes find that if something is billed as somebody else's favorite that can sometimes make me like very aware if I'm not having the exact like excellent experience you know I'm like oh no have I let you down by not you know not seeing the 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 things that you're having kind of good time yeah (laughs) so it's (laughs) basically I had a very internal weird thing going on while playing a game about potions (laughs) (laughs) but I really enjoy um there was another game I played recently and I genuinely cannot 
dredge the name of it out but i there was there's something about that hidden role drafting thing that i really like like everyone has the same you know a suite of people they can mm. call on but then they draft them differently depending on what they want to do in the game and i yeah that's something that i do really like and so i i would like to try again with room service to try and yeah see whether i can break myself out of my overcaution and just go ham <laughs> on potion so i i was i'll very briefly talk about room service the card game because i played it and I'll get it out of my head. Mm. Um, basically, this is just imagine you take broom service, or why this is this is what I was thinking that when you were explaining broom service, the broom game, broom service, the card game is basically like that, but with like fifty percent of of the game taken out to make it into this like very short, sharp like filler game. Mm. Essentially, you play rounds where you have a big hand of uh, witches, and you take a select few for your round. You take three, I think, and then you play rounds where players will place witches in front of them, either brave or cowardly. Brave witches will score you more potions when you play them, but uh, also or at the end of the round. Whereas cowardly witches will score you fewer. Um, but it has the same thing of if someone plays a brave after you, then they overwrite the earlier ones. And that's basically the entire game in that you just play cards to get potions and then whoever has the most potions of each type, you know, gets some points. It, and there's also some like extra tasks that go in the middle of the table. These like contracts that you're there to fulfill. Mm. But I was playing this game and I was thinking that like, oh boy, is this like, I, 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 I saw that mechanic of like brave versus cowardly and thought this would be so much better on a bigger and cooler game. And it sounds like broom service is that mm -hmm. it just went the other way around to how I was thinking it went um, <laughs> with this game coming out afterwards and being a reduction rather than this game coming out first and being the one that explodes into the big full table broom service game. Mm. Um, so I, w I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd recommend buying broom service, the card game on eBay. It's fine. Mm. <laughs> but maybe if your local board game cafe has a copy of broom service, you should uh, give it a go. Let it go. But don't do it if you're really, really tired. Mm, yeah, if you're having a bit of a day, I would say oh, maybe, no. maybe just enjoy <laughs> the um, the pastries that the cafe has to offer and <laughs> and sit with yourself for a time. <laughs> there are only a few games that can survive the bit of a day test. Mm. Unfortunately, broom service, not one of them. Maybe we should what do that as a list feature. We could just oh, that would find be such a good list. And, you know, yeah. I'll be out there though with like a really bizarre one. Like part of me kind of thinks that a feast for Odin is my a bit of a day game <laughs> because it's just it's just so absorbing and huge that you know yeah. you can't concentrate on anything else. Was this like if you were to say, oh well, maybe Twilight Imperium? Because how much worse can it really? Get? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> the final game we're going to talk about on this podcast is Sea Salt and Paper, a tiny little miniature little card game from publishers Bombix Games and designed by Bruno Cathala and Theo Riviere. Uh, this has, straight out the gate, we're going to just very briefly talk about the art because it's incredible. It has origami art and it is simply adorable uh it's maybe the best thing about this game i think that we might be agreed on that yeah each of the cards is a photo of an origami tableau so you've got like origami octopi you've got origami crabs you've got little rocks that they are hanging around near it's delightful 
it's really delightful. It's so sweet. The fact that some of them are just like, you know, there's a few that are just like a nice origami fish, but I love the ones that have a little bit of background detail as well, like a swimmer in some sort of card water <laughs> and like a little crab next to some cardboard rocks. Oh, it's so cute. Uh, yeah, the art for this game is really quite something. Um, game itself, I think we're kind of 50-50 on. Um, I think over the course of playing it, I appreciated it more. We first played this game at the UK Games Expo, where I think we were sort of rushed through it in a way that meant that no one was properly clicking with it. But after playing it again, and also caveat, we played it on Board Game Arena, I think it's nice. It's nice. Mm -hmm. I don't love it, though. Is that fair? I think it's fair. pleasant. And it's very it is pleasant. a lovely object to have in mm. your collection as in terms of the artwork, I would say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, so I think something that I struggled with was so with games like that, where you are essentially did you want to run through what you do, actually? Because yeah, have not done that. let's tell the people at home how the game works. Mm. I think it might be a little abstract, but we'll we'll get there. So in Sea Salt and Paper, you're trying to score points. Once you get to 40 points, you win the game. You're going to do this over a series of rounds. On each round, you have basically one choice at the start of your turn. You will either draw two cards from the top of the deck, choosing one to take and one to put into a discard pile, one of two discard piles in the center, or option two, take a card from the top of one of the two discard piles. That's like most of your turn. The extra thing that you can do is if you have a pair of what are called duo cards, so two crabs or two fish or two something else that I can't remember, you can play them in front of you from your hand to show everyone that you've got them, um, and you'll then take a little bonus action. So one of the actions lets you top deck an extra card. One of the actions lets you look through the discard piles and choose a particular one. Or one of the actions lets you steal a card from another player. That's a combo where it's not two of one thing. You have to have a swimmer and a shark so that you ah, can yeah, steal correct. a card. Uh, and I believe one lets you... Yeah, like the boats is another pair of things you can use. Yeah, the boats, I think, just let you take a whole extra turn yeah. straight afterwards. So that's sort of the core of the game, is you are taking cards into your hand, you're playing cards out of it, but also a lot of the cards are to do with set collection. So you might want to collect a set of octopuses, and the more of them you have in your hand at the end of the round, you'll score more points. You might collect a sailor. If you get a sailor and if you get another sailor, you're going to get five points. You might collect some penguins, or you might collect a card that gives you more points for your penguins, or more points for your sailors, or more points for your fish. And so that's the basic structure of it, until someone decides to end the round where there's a really nice little sharp decision because once someone has seven points total, they can end the round in two ways. They can either just end the round and say, that's it, no one's, you know, we're done, everyone's going to score points, or they can call, like, last round and then everyone gets one more turn and if after that last turn that player has more points than the other people, they'll get a little bonus, what's called a colour bonus, which means the number of cards they have in their most is it i can't remember if it's the number of cards in the most popular color or every color we can't have played it wrong because we played it on board game arena <laughs> but you'll then score some bonus points on top of that if you sort of like pushed your luck a little bit told everyone they had one more turn and then one and there's a really also just because you have seven points doesn't mean you need to end the round there's a nice push your luck element where at the end of every single turn you go maybe I can draw something else. Maybe I'll get exactly what I need to get you further and further ahead of your opponents and further ahead in a sort of meta game of trying to get to 40 points total. There's also a little mechanic of these mermaids. There's four of them. They'll add to your color bonuses and they also will give you four. Uh, if you have all four of them, 
you just win the game, which is one of those little rules that's like, ooh, nice, spicy, but probably won't happen. Um, so that's sea salt and paper. That's the basics. And I'll go ahead and say that, like, I'll continue the party line on this one, which is that it's fine. It's nice. It's sweet. But neither time I played it did it really make me feel anything more than like, oh, it's nice to play cards, isn't it? Mm. I think something that I noticed was that I feel that the number seven is too low for the end of a a hand Mm. to happen because it feels like you're only just getting going with some of your decisions. So for example, the octopus card, the first one is worth nothing if you've just got one in your hand. Then it goes up, you know, more and more as you gather more octopuses. And so but I I couldn't see and it might just be how we were playing or it might be different with more people or something. I don't know. But it it felt like a really difficult task to actually get those like tempting bonuses set up. It felt like a harder thing to figure out how to yeah. how to do and, and then you'd call end of because obviously you don't want the other person to start getting a a set of octopuses or a set of shells or you don't want them to have more penguins by that point so you you do want to call it early if you if you could i think or if you yeah if you think that you might have a few points ahead i definitely agree with that and i also think that like it is a game where sometimes you might want to call around as early as you can because combos or cards aren't just like finding their way into your hand you just got a little bit of bad luck and you can't like end the round even though you know your opponent is like running away with it in a weird way there's definitely something of the game having this very like simple set of decisions when it comes down to it i think that's what makes it this sort of light and breezy filler thing that means that on your turn it's basically like is there a card that you want actively in those two discard piles if not take something from the deck in which case what you want is going to be very apparent to you like in the games of this that i have played i very rarely had like an interesting choice offered to me at the start of my turn and then things only started to get interesting at the end of the round when when you were maybe pushing your luck or trying to think about ending things and at that spot i found it to be like well it's sort of over at that spot which means that you get this very nice bit of game in the middle where you're sort of doing two different set collection games at the same time you know you're doing one set collection for the color bonus one set collection to get like points and maybe get good groups of cards but that sort of happens in the middle and then the round is over just sort of before it's really got rolling i think mm. a little bit is that i don't know if that's fair or not well that that was my experience that was why i was thinking like i would try a custom you know an in-house rules of actually make it 10 points rather than seven Mm. when you're allowed to sort of trigger the end of the thing but i i will say that i think a personal preference thinks it was interesting that you said that the the neat mechanic of do you want to end it or do you want to risk other people getting a last turn um as the, the exit of of each hand um I didn't love that because I think I just prefer in card games particularly, especially when they're they're so regimented, then to have something quite unregimented, something quite loose at the end felt weird. (laughs) And I don't know whether that's like the neurospicy sort of side of me coming (laughs) into play and just reacting poorly to 
you know, a, a bit of uncertainty where I didn't want it to be uncertain. Like th there's yeah. something about it where it's like, but can't you just tell me it's the end of the round? <laughs> like, can't that just be <laughs> obvious? Like we've run out of cards or, you know, there's someone's triggered it, but it, it is just the end of the round. So I think I felt a bit at sea with making that decision because I wasn't tracking cards in the same way, but that's, I mm. am fully up to accept that's me just having a personal preference there. No, I think that's fair. I think that, I think that's a fair thing. I think it's definitely like a strange, I think it, it sort of, because of the cozy art and because of the niceness of the sort of like the presentation and because it's like a set collection game, I think it hides that it is quite mean, especially at two with that closing of the round at the end. Mm. Um, and so people could be going into it thinking it's a slightly different game to what it is. But I will say, I think that there are better alternatives in the small card game market for people who both want a nice chill card game that like you say is very clear when you're sort of done with it versus a sort of push your luck game i think there are lots of like games in these genres generally speaking that are better than this for the thing that you want this is just a strange blend of all of them together mm, yeah i think i think it's strange i think i would like it to commit to a thing a bit more and I think that's where I'm coming from with you know maybe spending a bit longer trying to get a higher points total because it's like okay it's a set collection game but I realized that I wasn't spend you know like that I the majority of the time I was like oh but I didn't settle into my set collection groove I wasn't <laughs> you know I didn't I didn't get a chance to sort of expand into an idea or a strategy or something it feels like it you know you you are almost like rushed through the, that part of it. And it's about just yeah, making yeah. the best of a, a few decisions rather than being able to do anything a bit more long-term or settle in. But yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to to see if that's what other people's experience is, especially because I think the artwork and the small size would really sort of make it a thing that a lot of people just pick up on the off chance. It's like, oh, well, mm -hmm, that's really mm -hmm. pretty. And, you know, it, it's not a huge box I have to store if I'm not hugely keen. So, yeah. yeah. And it's speedy. And it's a speedy small game, which is something that's so much more appetizing, I find. Like, I feel like people have unlimited appetite for small box games when really you don't need you don't need that many <laughs> and i think that i think a lot of them overlap in ways that and and sometimes that's an unhelpful way of looking at like board games as a hobby right is like which is the best in this individual genre or which is the best of this mechanic mm. and sometimes you want that blend of them but for me i think i'd rather play something that's like sharper for two players or i'd rather play something that's a little sillier and stranger for more players mm. i think in that moment of We've got a small amount of time. I want something that is in a small box and that has a lot of personality and great art. I would go mm -hmm. for, oh, what is it? The one that is based on the game that we used to play at school. Uh, the, you know, with the hyenas, not hyenas, but the crocodiles and the... Hungry Monkey. Yes, Hungry Monkey is the one that I would go to. <laughs> even though it's a bit of a pain to explain in terms of, look, this number just does this thing, so just live with it. Um, yes. It's still, like, it has that zing, and it has, like, there is a bit of kind of collect 
not really collecting. But no, there is. Yeah. I think there's a bit of collecting in there because you can play big chunks of cards at the same time. It's that It has that rhythm of like mm. a first half where you're sort of, you know, sowing and a second half where you're reaping, mm. which this game sort of has that as well, but it's a much more immediate turn on either end, I guess. Yeah, and there's a bit of planning ahead with the concealed cards at the end. And so I, mm-hmm. that would be my go-to for, yeah, like I say, good art like uh, creatures um and you know (laughs) having that sort of pacey snappy kind of um thing going on with a little bit of uncertainty and and kind of gambling on the other person or reading them or like tracking their cards a little bit it's got good art it's got creatures (laughs) what more do you need what more do you need yeah dirty pig exactly (laughs) oh no Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We will be back again next week with more cool board games. That's it. We did a podcast. How do you feel? I feel lighter ah, in my heart. You've jettisoned the cargo <laughs> of, of three board games. It was hard keeping them in your hat. Uh, yes, it was. My pointy witch's hat that I wear for all of my yeah. potion deliveries. And that's good as well because broom service sort of formed the base of the hat and then the number was the second and then sea salt and paper at the top. It's a perfect board game pyramid that you've jettisoned out of your brain. <laughs> and with that, I suppose I need to go build a new hat. Have fun. Ooh, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>